We're obsessed with buzz phrases, quiet quitting, Sunday scaries, the brand new, and in my opinion, really, really annoying bare minimum Monday that point towards our collective discontentment with work. That's a really broad brush to paint with, and for sure, some people love their jobs. But for some much needed context, in 2022, just 9% of UK workers who were surveyed in Gallup's State of the Global Workplace report felt enthused by their work and workplace. The European average was 14%, and the UK ranked 33rd out of 38 countries. So I think it's time to chat about why that is. I'm here with Lindsay Kohler, Lead Behavioural Scientist at Employee Engagement and Communications Consultancy Scarlett Abbott. Lindsay has a Master's of Science in Behavioural Science from LSE and writes about work culture for publications like Harvard Business Review and Forbes. And she's written a book, Even Better If, Building Better Businesses, Better Leaders and Better Selves. This episode is going to be all about taking a deep dive into the reasons behind our collective disengagement and coming up, hopefully, with some real solutions to solve it. So hi, Lindsay. How are you today? Hi, I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. So I'm going to start off with just a personal one. What makes you tick at work? I really like that that question and those moments of reflection. Um, for me, it's learning something new. So... You know, a big part of my job is thought leadership, which means I'm reading, I'm writing, I'm listening to experts, and I get a lot of fulfillment from learning something new. But then I say the the second part of that would be then sharing that knowledge with the team, with guests that come to events or attend webinars. You know, they say that so much of learning is being surprised. And I like seeing those moments of surprise on people's faces, those aha moments. And so if I can learn something new and share that with others, that really, um, yeah, really ticks all the boxes for me. And on the flip side, in kind of those moments of disengagement, what has been the kind of big catalyst? Yeah, that that is such an interesting question because we talk a lot about engagement at work and you know what's needed and what works and all the positive sides but I think sometimes if you dive deeper into the opposite we might find it more enlightening so diving deeper into disengagement um, could be potentially give us more valuable insights and so you know I had a had a thought about this before our conversation today and I realized that when I'm disengaged at work it is usually And when I say usually, I mean like 99% of the time, a combination of two things. And that is, the first one is not feeling valued. So whether that's pay, whether that's not being included in meaningful projects, whether that's not having enough work to do, you know, over the summer I wrote this piece in Forbes around bore out, which is, you know, much different than burnout. You know, when you don't have enough to do, when you don't feel valued, those days can stretch on and on and on Mm. and you can feel really disengaged and after I wrote that piece I was surprised at how many people reached out to me to tell me that it resonated with them and I think I guess the second factor for me and when I feel disengaged is having inconsistent leaders and what I mean by that is inconsistency in how they show up or inconsistencies in what they say and then what they actually do, and I find mm. that inc- 
incredibly disengaging and and a bit disheartening as well yeah we had it's really interesting what you're saying in terms of of bore out because we had um someone called ryan hopkins on the podcast who's fantastic he's well-being lead at deloitte currently um but he spoke about the fact that we don't really engage with the full spectrum of our emotions at work like we're either thriving kind of existing at the peak of hustle culture or we're completely burnt out and there's not much space in the conversation for kind of the the points between those things so kind of with that in mind what do you think about our whether we're collectively in touch with our feelings or not at work yeah I I think there's one point that I want to make um based on you know saying how we're not it's kind of that spec not a spectrum it's the black or the white or we're feeling great we're not feeling great and I think what employee engagement surveys get wrong is it's just a point in time measurement so you might get me on a really bad day and that Mm. could skew the data you might get me on a great day and that could skew the data so it's interesting to think about well what's that full spectrum like and I think at work we can be really quick to identify the negative emotions so um, negative tends to be about twice as strong as positive in terms of emotions, in terms of feelings, in terms of a motivator, in terms of things like loss aversion. We fear losing something more than we enjoy gaining something. So negative is really strong and it's hard to break that focus. But I do think we would be much better served if we did spend that time reflecting on the full spectrum and especially the positive feelings that work brings us. So Mm. I thought about that in my life too because it's so easy to complain about work but we don't often get together with our friends and say I had a great day at work (laughs) and most of my days are great days because I have autonomy I have flexibility I get paid to write which is just the best thing ever because I love writing Um, and I have these really lovely and supportive colleagues so I think in the full spectrum of work we we spend too much time focusing on the negative talking about the negative and not enough on on the good stuff i'm curious if well for anyone listening if you couldn't already tell Lindsay is american i'm i'm curious if there's a if you've found there's a cultural difference in the amount of time spent dwelling on the negative across the atlantic we do have a bit of a reputation for being maybe a bit more kind of dry and sarcastic along those terms well i think if 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 you were dwelling on it more, I wouldn't know because you also don't share how you're feeling <laughs> nearly as often as Americans. Like I, you know, it was a bit of a culture shock for my my company when I joined. I was the only American. Um, everyone there was British, mostly um, Northerners. And then and then this Californian comes in who who just has a whole different way of interacting, of being, of showing up. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if if there's more time spent dwelling on the negative but like I said if there were I don't think I don't think I would know about it which is sad you know we need to be able to talk about our feelings at work the good and the bad yeah so kind of along the 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 feelings line we're going to talk about engagement today and it's something that can actually carry a lot of shame for people I think nobody wants to admit the times when they feel disengaged because it might be interpreted as they're slacking or they don't feel particularly aligned with their work. But it 
does seem to me that this kind of openness is really going to be the the key to unlocking engagement um, and ensuring that really great talent isn't lost during those periods. How do you think people can start to have honest conversations about that at work? So I, this is such an interesting question because you used the word shame. And shame, I think it's the one emotion that we struggle to talk about the most probably because it is the most uncomfortable emotion any one of us can experience. You know, I've grief, you know, I've experienced that and it's hard, but there's no shame in it. There's anger, you know, again, very visceral, but no shame. But those those moments in life where I felt true shame, I do feel like a dog that wants to put its tail between its legs mm. and slink off into the corner until everybody forgets that it was ever there. Um, so I think when it comes to having honest conversations when there is that element in the background it comes down to to psychological safety you know that has to be there um but i think there's also a lot of power in remembering that you know we own 50 percent of every conversation that we have we have equal agency in guiding the discussion and so one of the um things this made me think about was was Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. Um, Okay, well, admittedly, I've only read the Blinkist version of it. But it does a great job summarizing. And there's this concept in there that I really like called um, Challenge Directly. And the idea is that it's okay to give the challenge that, hey, I could be doing more for the team, but these are my blockers and why I'm not. And I need your help to get me there. I think there's a lot of power in that because, you know, when we are disengaged, it's, it's, there's so many reasons for it. And if we say, these are my blockers, what are you going to do? And I I had that experience in my current role. I was out basically out the door and my CEO said, well, what can we do? And I said, these are my three blockers and he fixed all three blockers. So I stayed and I'm feeling really happy about that and back back engaged and motivated and really excited about what I do each day but um, and it came from having that that direct challenge of what needed fixing yeah so it's about engaging with those obstacles rather than letting it become because I think it's one of those things where on on the shame side of things if you're feeling disengaged if you're feeling like because of that your work probably isn't at its best it's Mm -hmm. gonna bring on a lot of kind of like feelings of imposter syndrome and feelings of of um general kind of like unworthiness around your work but it's important to keep in mind those obstacles that you have in place and focus on those before you kind of spiral so I want to talk a bit about purpose because I feel like that's something that's often diluted by kind of airy fairy self-help conversations what do you think are some of the kind of different definitions that purpose can have at work? Yeah, well, I think organizational purpose has a fixed definition. So organizational purpose, it's why a company exists, that's set in stone. <clears throat> but where things get interesting is when you bring in individual purpose. So that's about finding meaningful activities at work in which to engage in. And that speaks, I think, a lot more into what we as employees find value in. And so if we don't 
um, value a company's purpose, then the work itself probably won't be very meaningful. Um, but I would say on this individual purpose, you know, the bus that we're on or train or airplane, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say that we don't want to make employees do the work of figuring out how what gives them purpose outside of work can also manifest at work. So we need to help them find those correlations between like what lights you up, what do you care about, and how do you think that shows up at work? How does that show mm. up in your job? How does that show up in our company's purpose? So I think individual purpose can have lots of different definitions at work. Organizational purpose cannot, that's set. It's time for a shameless plug. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll want to receive our People Experience newsletter. It's a fortnightly download of the creme de la creme of progressive people and talent, content, jobs, and events from here at Handle and beyond. You can find the sign-up link in the podcast description. And do you think purpose is necessary at work or do you think it kind of sometimes we use conversations like that to mask the fact that essentially people on the whole work for money. Well, if you make enough money, then you probably don't need purpose at work to be happy. I am not going to lie, like on a day-to-day basis. So there was this well-quoted research, I think it was 2010, that said, oh, after about $75,000, any increase in income doesn't materially make us that much happier on a day-to-day basis. Well, it turns out they revisited that research this year and and guess what more money does make us happier unless you're like in the least like miserable portion of the population something like 20 percent. so um i don't think we need purpose at work if you make enough money i really okay. don't um but let's say outside of that let's say you know i'm not rolling in it um when we do focus groups with clients and around engagement, we say things like, well, what do you find like most motivating? And it's pretty astonishing how few people go to money. Um, a lot of people will um, talk about, I like what I do, I love my colleagues, providing for my family gives me joy. So money doesn't usually come up as the top answer. And so to that end, I think purpose has has a huge role to play in in our happiness and happiness we know is a mixture of pleasure and purpose and what we focus attention on um but but i'm not gonna lie if you get paid really darn well maybe you need you need less purpose maybe there's an equation i don't know someone who's much better with math and research than me should figure out the the purpose and money equation in the workplace and figure out where those thresholds are. Yeah. And and kind of on that purpose note, how do you think business leaders can work to communicate and engage people in their common purpose? Yeah, I think it's about instilling a shared sense of ownership, mm. um, you know, and being also very clear on on the behaviors that you want to see that embody the purpose. But I think those messagings around it is all on us together. We have this shared ownership, this shared accountability to make this a great place to work, to live out our purpose for our customers, and let's do it together. I think that's a really strong message. And as along the lines of what you were saying earlier in terms of what you want from leaders is that 
consistency, but also kind of that vulnerability, that mm. communication that really lets people into the purpose or journey of the business rather than kind of um, working with directives the whole time. Yeah, you know, there, there's so much around top-down communication that just doesn't work. And so you're right. I think pulling back the screen, being vulnerable, um, especially as we've seen in times of uncertainty to just say, hey, we don't have all the answers. This is the information we do mm -hmm. know. Let's figure it out together um, is much more motivating and engaging than just being told seven layers removed. Yeah. We now use red widgets instead of green widgets. Get behind it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I, I feel like you're going to have a, some things to say about this because I do get the impression that you're someone who um, consumes quite a lot of, <laughs> of um, writings around kind of work culture, but there's a lot of articles that talk specifically about Gen Z. Um, what are your thoughts on that whole kind of Gen Z disengagement conversation? Yeah. So in general, I don't, I don't love a generational differences approach to employee engagement because mm -hmm. I think we tend to have a lot more in common than we do not in common and a lot of times we have incorrect assumptions for example sustainability initiatives everyone thinks oh Gen Z is so fired up and the research actually shows it's older generations that care more and are doing more at least in, in the workplace so I don't love like generational differences but I will say so I'm um I really like TikTok and I don't post on it. I'm just that like consumer of information. And you see like loads of TikToks where Gen Z is simply stating things like, mm, work just isn't a vibe today. You know, that vocal fry and that whole. And so like nobody my age would do that. So I'm, I'm an elder millennial. Um, never had the word elder applied to me before that term became like a thing. But um. So I do think we have different thresholds for what we tolerate and won't tolerate at work. I think Gen Z has a lower threshold of what they won't tolerate, and I think that's a good thing. I think they're actually more assertive about what they want. Um, and I also think, and I'd love your viewpoint on this, is that maybe the definition of what constitute, constitutes work, which I'll define here as the thing you do to make money, um, it might be really different, you know, um, you know, being an influencer is now like a job mm. working loads of freelance gigs. That's easier than ever to start your own companies. than it was 10, 15 years ago with everything we have on the internet. So I think like loyalty to a job is likely more fickle, but not because they're fickle, but because their priorities have changed. You know, the job doesn't define who, who they are. And again, that's spoken as, as, uh, as an, elder millennial <laughs> I think yeah no I think you're completely right I think it's a really interesting phenomenon I also think what among many things that the pandemic showed us it was that businesses have a bottom line and I think mm -hmm. for many young people coming into the workforce for the first time they learned that maybe a bit well a lot quicker than mm. other again generalizing but other generations mm. and so when you're saying you know they have a lot of kind of like side hustles they might have multiple plates spinning I think that's a response to that mm. and a kind of movement away from the traditional 
uh, career path that we were taught was kind of going to bring us towards success. Um, but yeah, I, I, what do you think kind of business leaders are maybe getting wrong about generations coming into work and potentially losing in the process? I think what they're getting wrong is that there's a tendency to devalue fresh insights and fresh attitude and fresh energy and alternative ways of getting things done. I think that the voices aren't listened to enough. And then there's also this really interesting attitude that, um, oh my gosh, I can't recall the gentleman's name, but I interviewed him maybe like two months ago for Forbes around the four day work week. And he was in um, like parliament and someone was complaining about the change to a four day work week. And when they pushed and were like, well, why? Well, why? This man finally said, well, that's because what I had to do. I had to work five days a week, Mm. 10 hours a day. So Mm -hmm. if I had to do that, you have to do that. And I think that's where some of that pushback comes from. And, you know, tough. I don't want to swear on the podcast. So, so you know, that's <laughs> tough for, for you, but, you know. Yeah, and it, well, it just, it also denies the truth of existence, which is that things evolve, things change, language yeah. changes, what we're wearing changes. So our weeks are going to change. And the five-day work week was built originally to serve a completely different time than the one we're living in so you know I'm not saying everyone has to necessarily change immediately but we should definitely be evaluating whether what we're working serves us rather than seeing it as some permanent thing which was never permanent anyway we used to work seven days a week yeah and then it went down to six and then Henry Ford had his five-day work week so maybe one day we'll work one day a week (laughs) just kidding when the robots come (laughs) What are some of the other key ways you think businesses need to be mm-hmm. re-engaging people? Yeah, so that's that's an easy one. And the answer is inclusion. And um, <laughs> that's going to need its own podcast episode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want me to elaborate on that point, I'm happy to come back and we can talk about inclusion. But hands down, it is inclusion. Just just elaborate that on that a little bit. Like, what does inclusion which engages people look like yeah it means it means it means meeting your people where they are and understanding that different people have different needs so you know I read this story the other day where um this man was having a conversation with with someone on a plane there was this wall street journal article about inclusion and it's so woke and do we really need it and he was asking her about it and he said oh well I have an employee that's a new mother so we created a lactation room for her so she could pump at work is that inclusion and the woman said yes it's meeting people where they are like that is really what it is and so when I'm in an environment that feels safe that feels inclusive that celebrates what everybody brings to the table that doesn't bar people from entry for whatever reason, that's a great place to be. Um, so that's why I think inclusion is the the big engager outside of mm. purpose and and money. And if we're kind of flipping it on its head and and taking the onus off of people and talent professionals, for someone who might be feeling disengaged, maybe there's someone listening at this very moment who's sat at their desk wasting their time because they're not feeling aligned with what they're doing. 
what would your kind of first piece of advice for them be? I would say if you're in a psychologically safe environment to do so, speak up, you know, tell your manager what's got you down and why. We often, we often underestimate our employer's willingness to try to fix things um, in our work life, especially if we've been disengaged for a while. We can stew in our thoughts. We can get negative. We can just think, oh, well, it'll never change. But have you, have you tried? Have you asked? Um, mm. You know, tell them you're bored. Tell them you want new challenges. Tell them you don't feel a lack of purpose. Tell them you want more money. You know, give, give them a chance to, to fix it before walking away if it's a place that you want to stay. Um, if it's not a place that you want to stay, then, then quit. We really undervalue knowing when to quit and when to walk away, you know. I think um, it's Annie Duke who wrote a book around quitting, and she's this famous, um, she's like a world champion poker player, and then she became a neuro, um, like a behavioral science researcher, and so she wrote this book, and she said, people stay in jobs, they stay in pursuits way longer than they should, because we have a culture that celebrates never quitting, never walking away. And one of your biggest work superpowers, if you are disengaged and, and you don't want to be there, is just quitting. It's okay. What do you think, what's the skill set that quitting brings that maybe staying doesn't? I think it's confidence in, in your ability to figure it out, in your ability to dream and think about a scenario that's better than the one that you're in right now Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times staying is the the safe choice because all the choice has been squeezed out it's not scary to to stay leaving is scary but you know nothing nothing changes if you don't if you don't make it change for yourself so if you're in a psychologically safe environment don't think that you're superiors or peers are mind readers I think yes we're all guilty <laughs> of that I think when especially if we're feeling discontentment at work we think that it must be the most obvious thing in the world when in reality everyone's so wrapped up in their own priorities mm-hmm. workloads emotions that they can barely tell so it's to speak up and if you're not happy and it's not psychologically safe know the power of leaving yes amazing and for our final question if you were going to have a conversation with someone who works in people and talent who was looking to re-engage people right now and they wanted to know the very first thing they should go back to their desk and do what would you recommend I would recommend taking a deep breath and and reflecting more broadly on the problem at hand. I think we're really quick to, you know, employ the solutions we've employed before. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really quick to do the, the status quo things we've been told as people and change experts to do in these people and change situations. I think just taking a deep breath, stepping away, thinking about the problem broader, more holistically, going for a walk, getting more creative about it. Um, will probably inspire better and different approaches. Yeah. 
And I think that's a fantastic place for us to wrap it up. Lindsay, it was such a pleasure having you here today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you.